0: Well, good morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 again today, but before we get in Mark 10, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the fact that I was in India last week and about that trip and what that trip was all about. Five weeks ago, I had no idea I would be in India, which is very unusual because a trip like that, you have to plan far in advance to get the visa, to get the proper, um, to get the right price on the airline tickets and so forth. But let me just tell you quickly how this came about. There's a young couple here, and they're actually here in the service in that back row. This is Romnia and Sandeep. Can y'all wave or can you stand? Okay, everybody's waving at them. They've been, att- they've been attending our church for a few years. And when I first met them, they were not married yet. And Romnia, the, the young lady, came from a Christian family in India. And Sandeep came from a Hindu family, and he was not living, had not given his life to Christ yet. It was something he was considering, but... There was a lot of pressure on him because he didn't know what the ramifications would be. He didn't know how his family would respond. Well, Romney, her father, wasn't going to, wasn't really blessing the marriage unless he was a Christian. So there was a dilemma. Romney returned to India. Sandeep continued to attend church here, began to work with me and with Pastor David, who used to be one of our associate pastors. And over time, just made really not an emotional decision, but an intellectual decision from reading scripture to follow Christ. And so right here in this area to your left, uh, Sandeep was baptized in water. And then I wrote this really formal letter. I mean, with church letterhead and everything and said, you know, Sandeep, I've met with him, I've Seen him baptize, baptized, him in water. And, you know, only God knows true faith, but from everything I observe, he's following Christ. And, and that was part of their story. And it ended up, Sandeep returned to India. His parents were participants in a Christian marriage. And so they, they uh, were part of that. They moved back here less than a year ago. Shoshana was born to their home and it has started, started a great friendship. And so Ramya's parents, were here visiting for some time a year ago and we developed a friendship and then uh, I write a blog that I think my mom and sister read and <laughs> maybe and Romney's dad reads and so it's not unusual for me he'll he'll respond to my blogs and send me an email and we have dialogue like that well just a few weeks ago he sends me this email and says Uh, how would you like to come preach at the church I attend in India? I will bring you over. Well, you don't get that email just every day. I get invited overseas all the time, but it's always on my own pocket, right? Come preach, and if you can pay for the flight and all that. So I said yes. He went and talked to his pastor. His pastor said yes, and so I'm thinking, well, this will be nice. I'll get to preach to a nice little church of 50 or 100 or so, what an average church is, and he sends me the link and says, oh, by the way, the church I attend has 40,000 members, so what an opportunity, and so I ended up preaching essentially in what were three churches. Last Friday, I uh, preached at a smaller church, a uh, church gathering of like 40 to 50 people, which I really enjoyed because I was able to meet the people, take pictures, learn their story, learn from them. Then I was able to preach uh, last Sunday morning three times. First, at Pastor Abraham Thomas's church, which was a church of several thousand, not quite 40, but Thousands, and they have their first service at 5 a.m., and it's packed. That's how it's packed. Well, they didn't let they they let me slide on that one. I didn't preach at that one, but I I preached at the 7 a.m. service at Pastor Thomas's church. Then went down the road to New Life Church, and this church has many many services, and so I was just preaching a portion of those. The first one was in the native language, and it was. Uh, At at a church that had an outdoor feel to it, and just to give you some context, um, as I went, all the people on stage took their shoes off, which was interesting because I had had a little debate when I packed uh, of what type of shoe to wear. Really wasn't, it was kind of a, a needless debate because I took my shoes off. So if you ever preach at India, the quality of your socks are much more important than the quality of your shoes. So I go and preach, and this is, not, this is just a description. Uh, it's not a criticism at all. That particular service kind of felt like maybe church about 30 years ago, which church 30 years ago was better than church now. So that's not, again, a criticism, but stylistically, like it was very bright. All the lights were on, and it was uh, a piano-based worship. It was powerful worship. Uh, and and we preach, and I preached through a translator, and it was great. And and it was one of five services in that particular service. This church had mul- had different services on different floors of the church. So let, and so I took my iPhone and I did a pan- panoramic of it. So I'll show you what that service looked like. Mm-hmm. Now that's much deeper than it looks. There's more people than, than even it looks in that video. And so the fans were blowing, I had my shoes off. The women covered their head. There's a scripture that references that. and they, they, That particular congregation applies it the way they cover their heads. So that went great. It was an honor and everything went well. So I went back to the pastor's office after that and I was just relaxing. And next I was gonna preach in English. So I thought that when I preached in English without a translator to the English service, it'd be similar to what you just saw. Well, to my shock, I walked into this room with probably 3,000 people there and that church service was like ours. They had the bright lights, they had the haze machine, they had air conditioning, everyone kept their shoes on, Uh, very few ladies covered their head. Uh, They were dressed a lot like you guys are and it was just interesting to see the two Indias. The English service was mostly people in their 20s and and I'd probably say predominantly in their 20s who uh, they are... Wanting to use English, wanting to um, westernize in a way, for lack of a better term. And so I wish I would have taken more video of that, but here's just a concept of that. So you can't. T- I couldn't even see the back of that room. It went way, way, way in the back. So it was a lot of fun, and and I really appreciate the support you guys gave me. I could just feel your prayers. It was just a wonderful opportunity to take the church with me. I, I felt like I took you with me in prayers, and I was blessed by my participation. And. Beyond the church services, yeah, God did a great work in those church services. I preached pastorally to them i didn 't try to preach as if this great evangelist I pre- they, it was a week to week Sunday kind of service for them, and I preached a message I'd preached here uh, a few a few years ago that God led me to. That service went great, but in addition to that, the trip itself was flawless, and a lot of the ministry that took place was in conversation with people. So thank you for praying. I mean, I had some significant conversations with pastors, with other people that I met, people outside of the faith that was very significant. As you know, personal conversations are personal, but God moved through those. So thank you so much. An amazing experience. And it'll be great to see how God uses that new bridge uh, for, for ministry. And we'll have people from India minister here. I think that is a Likely possibility in the future. So good things are happening. Let's go to Mark 10. Let's jump into Mark 10. We're working through this chapter and here another week or two, we'll move on to a more topical series. Pastor Deborah did a great job last week. I, I gave her the passage, or not really me, the passage landed in a difficult place, the cup of suffering. Congratulations, Deborah. You get to preach on the cup of suffering She did a great job with that. Now, today I'm preaching out of a passage that is a preacher's dream. I'm telling you that this passage, you can simply read the scripture and it preaches for itself. A lot of times when people start public speaking or start teaching, the passage we're going to share today is a great starter sermon because it just preaches itself. But here's the issue with us today. It's easy to preach this message, to teach this message, to share this message verbally, you could do it. It's not so easy to live this message. And that's why it is a tremendous reminder to us this morning. I'm very enthusiastic about the things God wants me to share with you today because every single one of us needs to hear the message today. Every one of us need to hear about Jesus's heart to serve. Uh, Jesus has a heart to serve the world, to serve us, and we are to receive his heart. We don't just mimic his behavior only because we have to. By grace, our hearts are transformed and we want to live out of the heart of Jesus. We want the heart of Jesus to live out of us. So let's look at this passage in Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 42. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. How many of that's still true today, isn't it? All right? I mean, that's just as true today as when Jesus said it. Now 43, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man, which is another term for the Messiah or God or Jesus, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I spent 10 years as a youth pastor and here lately, I've been given a lot of illustrations from my days in youth ministry, and I have another one today. And I've been thinking about youth ministry, and youth ministry is a blast because youth ministry is a microcosm of life itself. If you're part of a youth group, a grouping of teenagers, all of life happens in that group of teenagers. Those of you who who work with teenagers here at the church or, you know, in other settings. I know Emily teaches at Station Camp High School. You get to see everything happen. Everything that happens in life happens among teenagers. So there are great stories, stories of life. And so it is that I relive a lot of those with you. Now, I was a junior high pastor in a large youth group. And so my best friend was a high school pastor. And one time we were doing a an activity like a game night at the church's gym. And John and I had identified an emerging leader. This guy was in his early 20s. He was sharp. The kids liked him. He was well-educated. He was uh, successful in his professional life. We saw him as a leader who was rising up. So we thought, well, this would be a great start for him in leadership. Let's put him in charge of the kickball game. I mean, it's a pretty easy entryway into leadership. So we called him aside, hey, will you lead the kickball game? We handed him the whistle and said, why don't you start the kickball game? When this guy put the roped whistle around his neck, it was like the transformation of the Incredible Hulk. When that whistle was around his neck, he became the Mussolini or Hitler of the church gym. When he had that whistle around his neck in his mouth, he screamed, I want everyone here now. Come on, kids. So the kids gather around, the teenagers gather around him. I said, All eyes on me. All eyes on me. There, there was a little sixth grade kid, you know, probably had some ADD issues or something. The green shirt. He was just kind of, you know, wandering off somewhere, never, never learning. Hey, you, you right there in the green shirt. Eyes on me. It was crazy. This guy who was successful in other realms, you give him a whistle, you put him in charge of a game, and he transformed into the gym monster there. It's a lesson you've seen happen in your life too. You never know how someone is going to react to power. And I found that often, often the indicators we think that would predict sometimes work, but often don't. So, Power is a major test of who we are or where our level of maturity is. And in the case of the guy I mentioned, he ended up being a very strong leader in our group. And so he, he was able to learn from that and he was able to emerge from that and use that experience to become a really effective leader. And so, But you've been in that situation when somebody gets a title, someone gets a position, someone gets in charge, and it's the worst thing for them. Power ruins them. Well, here's what Jesus does in verse 42, is our first observation today. Jesus redefines what power is. He redefines the message of power. This is something that I referenced in our series in the spring called Jesus Changes Everything. And today's contemporary leadership analysis and leadership teaching the concept that is getting the most attention is the concept of servant leadership. This did not originate with modern authors. This originated with Jesus. Jesus brought the concept of servant leadership to the world and all of us who hear it on a regular basis are still trying to apply it to our lives. It is a total new definition of power that Jesus brings to the world. And this transcends even those who don't recognize, sadly, Jesus as God. They don't recognize who Jesus is. Uh, This transcends religions that is one of the greatest gifts Jesus gave to humanity from a natural standpoint is this concept of servant leadership. And this concept is something we need to be reminded of and we need to apply to our life. See, the old definition, it's really the working definition today, is this. Power equals control. Look at that. Power equals control. If I'm in charge of something, I get to control the situation. You put me in charge, I determine when the meeting starts, when the meeting ends. You put me in charge of the group, I determine who gets promoted, I determine who gets fired. You put me in charge of the homeowners association, I determine who gets to park in the grass, I determine when the spring picnic is. It's powerful, right? So we naturally want control. Do you remember the games we used to play as kids and think, if I was president of the United States, this is what I would do? I remember when I was a kid that free refills for Cokes were not common. You'd have to give another buck. And so I remember thinking, if I'm president, I'm going to make free refill of soda, the law of the land. I'll be be in control. See, when we, when we, when we, we have power, we think we control everything. And that is why absolute power is so corrupting. That's why tyrants and dictators uh, rarely look for the best welfare of the people because too much power, too much power in the hands controls. Earthly power controls the situation. But here's where Jesus shifted the new definition of this power means to serve. Power means to serve. So it is that the president of the United States or the governor of Tennessee, our congressmen or congresswomen in Washington, D.C. are not there to control us. They're elected to serve us. That means within that context, decisions need to be made and decisive action needs to happen And choices that are hard and sometimes even have negative ramifications need to be made. But the overall picture is this. Our public servants are designed to serve us. That's why even the father of our country, President George Washington, before he was president, served as a general of the Continental Army. And then he chose to serve. He would have preferred to stay at his farm in Virginia, but he chose to serve because Leadership is service. Leadership is not control. Leadership is not using power to control others and manipulate others. Leaders is using power to serve the good of all. So six and a half years ago, I was 32 years old and this church elected me as pastor. And with that position, yeah, there's some power. There's some power of the staff. There's some power over programming and God hasn't given me that position to control you or control this church. I'm called to serve. I'm called to lay down my life and serve this body and this flock of people so that Jesus would be glorified and you'd love Jesus more and we'd love Jesus more together and the world would see who he is. And so it is that power no longer means controlling the situation. Power means service and serving those around us. That's what Jesus has called us to do. Look at that first scripture, verse 42 again. Jesus called them together and said, you know, the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But I love this line. Look at that line beginning of 43. But among you, it will be different. Is that not a powerful phrase? You know, we are called to be different. And as Christians, we don't want to be different. We want to be normal. We want to fit in. And then some branches of Christianity or some expressions of Christianity, even those that I've participated in, try to differentiate ourselves through outward means. The Bible says we don't differentiate ourselves, make ourselves different by what we eat or what we drink or what day we observe. This is how we make ourselves different. This is how we're different through our character, through our character, through the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, among you, it's gonna be different. When you're a person and God has given you influence, and God has given you power, you're to serve. The classroom that you teach, you're there to serve those students. The customers that you sell product to, you're there to serve them. If you're in the food industry, the people that pay you and give you tips to give food, you're not just there to accumulate tips, you're there to serve them. You're, we're We're called to serve those around us. We don't use influence as middle managers in our company, as department heads to show power and authority and top-down authority over those we serve. No, we serve those we lead. Part of serving those we lead means making tough decisions. Part of serving those we lead means being decisive. Part of serving those we lead means we even remove negative influences, you you can play this game and, and talk about how this unfolds in your context. Man, we are called to serve. When I was a child, this is, gosh, 30 years ago, what I'm remembering is something happened in the United States of America that caught my attention that even as a little kid, I could not believe. This whole nation was transformed by an event. People began to, people lost all rational thought. Violence emerged in this nation. Civility was lost. Even Christians laid down their moral choices because they were affected by this phenomena. Maybe you remember this too. Yeah, cabbage patch dolls. Wow, I don't remember those things. If you're under the age of 40, let's, you can Google this. <laughs> Circa 1983, 1984, America went crazy over these ugly little dolls. Look, you look offended, Beth. I mean, there was a shortage of these dolls in America, so the media outlets followed the story of mothers and grandmothers and grown men who waited in line and camped out overnight because rumors that a shipment of cabbage cabbage patch dolls were arriving at the store. And then much like we see today on the Black Friday video, uh, they would wait up all night. And when the doors open, I mean, ladies would get violent, pull hair, push, fight each other to get these dolls. I remember we had some neighbors just a couple of doors down who were, cabbage patch doll hunters. This man and his son would like hear about rumors that the dolls may be arriving in a different part of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. And they would look for the dolls and they would accumulate and buy them. And even as a young kid, I was like, why are you doing this? Investment. These things are going to be worth a lot. I wonder 30 years later how that's working out for them right now. Has anyone really evaluated the cabbage patch doll market lately? I think there's. Probably not that valuable. So here was America went cra- Why did America go crazy over these dolls? It's because there was a fear of scarcity. The idea was, I want my daughter, I want my granddaughter, I want, I want my niece to get this doll. And I think a lot of moms wanted the doll too. And so that fear of scarcity caused grown adults To participate in irrational behavior because they didn't want to be caught at the back of the line. When when we have scarcity in our life, we fight for the front. When when we're afraid something's going to run out, we fight to the front to make sure we position ourselves. Jesus, here's our second observation, changes position. Jesus redefines what positioning meant. And it's very clear here in the scripture. Look at, look at verse 40, 43. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. That's a transformational statement. That's a statement that turns normal human behavior upside down. We instinctively, whether it's a Cabbage Patch doll or whether it's a promotion at the school or the workplace, we position ourselves to get into the front. But in the kingdom of God and through Jesus, Jesus says this, if you serve, if you become a slave, if, if, you, if you really put others' needs before your own, something can happen. You're positioning yourself for God to do a great work. You're positioning yourself to God to put you in the place he wants you to be. We're so scared that if we don't get to the right place at the right time, we'll lose opportunity. And God's saying, no, you serve, you serve and you put others before yourself. And God says, I'll position you in the exact place that you need to be. A couple of months ago, I went to, the whitewater rafting trip with some of the men in our church. That was a good investment of a trip because I'll probably have years of sermon illustrations from that one trip. We rafted for six hours, three hours, then took a lunch, another three hours. And then we had to get back on the bus for the 30 minute drive back to our vehicles. So after six hours of us suburban warriors trying to conquer the river, we're a little sore. We're a little tired we're standing there in humiliation in water shoes, which is no fun. And wouldn't you know, the bus wasn't there. Bus had been caught in a wreck, it wasn't there. So we're just standing around and waiting and waiting. The bus on the way there had been very crowded, very crowded, every seat taken, every seat taken. So the bus finally arrives and I see some of our teenage boys, you know, kind of take their oars and run. To the bus. I mean, they're running to make sure they get a seat, and, and the whole mass is kind of moving towards the bus. And so, this really wasn't a spiritual decision. I just said, I don't want to hassle with that. I'm just going to let everybody get on the bus, and I'm going to be last. Someone else had paid for my trip. I thought, well, that was a blessing. Oh, hopefully, that person will get a seat. I'll, I'll be last on the bus, and just kind of let the crowd go in, and I'll just Let the chips fall where they may. Well, as everyone's getting on the bus, I'd forgotten about something. I'd forgotten that a significant amount of people had to stand the whole 30 minutes. So I thought, well, that's a bummer. So I'm the very last person on the bus and I see there's no seats and and, and there's no seats at all and people are standing and I'm I'm there and I'm okay with it. Then the guide, one of the guides said, sir, he didn't know who I was, said, sir. He said, uh, he, he didn't read my blog either, by the way. Um, He said, this uh, seat's available now. The very first seat, there'd been a cooler there. And I said, "I I don't need to sit there. No, no, he said, please, please sit there. Here it was. I had every intention of just standing. And then God opened this seat for me. Our circumstances opened it. I don't wanna, here's the cool part about it, is because of where I was sitting, And when we got off the bus, we got a free granola bar and a Gatorade. And on top of that, I grabbed my granola bar and Gatorade and I was able to get into my car and hit the road faster than anybody else. It's just a tiny way of remembering. Listen, when you try to serve and try to go last, God will put you first. And we have to be careful because if we try to use this as manipulation with God, It's not really serving, is it? We say, well, God, I I figured this out, God. I'm gonna go last because I really would like to be first here. As if God, we can't manipulate him, right? Come on, he knows our hearts. So I don't think the intent here is to apply some scientific formula so all of us are using deference to try to self-promote. I think the heart behind the scripture is let's, Operate in the heart of Jesus who says serve and give and God's gonna take care of you in the end. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. When we serve, we operate in the heart of Jesus. We operate in his character. We operate in who he is and so it is. He has redefined the definition of power and he has redefined the definition of position. And then here's a great thing about Jesus. You know, Jesus was the rabbi he was a great teacher. And then lastly, he did this. He demonstrates this new definition. He demonstrates the new definition. He demonstrates what it means to serve in power. He demonstrates what it is to make himself a slave and to serve others. He shows that. You see, it's true that in all types of teaching atmospheres, whether it's in education or music or sports, You can talk, 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 and try to teach people. You can try to teach people what to do. In acting, some of these girls in the front row are into acting. You you can tell them, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to stand. Verbal instruction only goes so far. When a coach or a mentor shows people how to do what he wants them to do, when she shows the actresses how she wants them to stand, then people catch on. Why? Because people people catch more. The phrase goes this way. It's not what we are taught, it's what we caught. Took me a long ways to get there, didn't it? It's what we see, and Jesus demonstrated that. Look at verse 45. Verse 45 says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many good words, aren't they? You've heard them before. I'm gonna say this is probably not new information to you, but this is not about receiving information. This is about application today. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to remind you today to keep serving. There is a selfishness within us that serving is the medicine for. Serving is an antidote to the selfishness that overtakes. Giving is good giving and serving, we are never more like Jesus than when we serve. I want to remind you of that today. We, we have overcomplicated the spiritual life. We've developed this complex spiritual vocabulary that's not even in the Bible. We, we've acted as if the ways of God are some hidden mystery that we may or may not find. And it's so simple. If you want to be like Jesus, serve. If you want to be like Jesus, serve. you want to stand together. Let's stand together because the Lord has a special prayer for you today. Special prayer for you today. I know a lot of you personally. This is an odd Sunday with so many gone and then some who are visiting. And it's, it's, it, So I know a lot of you personally, but there, even though we have a small crowd today, there's many here I don't know. So my natural knowledge knows this. My natural knowledge knows that many of you are servants. But in my spirit, man, I sense something beyond just natural knowledge that God is saying many of my servants are here today. Many of my servants are here. There are many servants of the Lord here today. And the Lord is speaking to your weariness. And and we're going to dismiss soon. So I want you to really try to focus in these next five minutes. Because if you don't focus, the Lord... What what the Lord's doing may pass over you, and so this is your this is a moment here. The Lord is speaking to your weariness, and He's speaking to the servants of the Lord today, servants of God who are weary and serving. The reason we get tired in serving is, is for a lot of logical reasons. We're overlooked. We don't see the benefit right away. We feel underappreciated. It's true that man does not recognize maybe the depth of sacrifice that we've made for the kingdom of God or even our own children don't have the ability to recognize the sacrifices we've made for them. So I'm speaking to your weariness. And the Lord has sent this message today. He's, he's brought this passage back to you today to say, to encourage you that your service is not an expression of your personality, your personality, your obligation is a reflection of the character of Christ. It's the heart of Jesus. And you are cultivating the heart of Jesus through your service. And that's why service is hard sometimes. If it was easy, everyone would do it. If it was easy, then it wouldn't be the challenge. But Jesus is saying, don't be weary in serving. Don't put your service on the evaluation of earthly gain because God His eyes see everything. I mean, his eyes see everything you do, and not only sees everything you do, he sees the motive of what you do. And the presence of God is here today. Listen, the touch of the Lord is here today because the Lord is wanting to just give strength to that place which is weak. The Apostle Paul said this, is that I will boast in my weakness because in my weakness he is strong. Can I tell you your position today for the connection with God that he has. I want to ask that our prayer partners and pastors go to that wall to your left and just kind of move that way here. Listen, in just a moment, Beth's going to lead us in some worship and we're going to have communion. It's going to be open and we're going to be able to take communion. And we're going to spend this time letting God just refresh, restore some things in us. to to speak to that weariness. Some of you, listen, you're caretakers for someone who's ill. You're caretakers for someone who is sick. I don't know if they're old, they're young, whatever that is. being a caretaker is very hard. And I don't, by any means... Stand here with this microphone and act like I understand what you're going through because I don't, but the Jesus that loves you understands. He empathizes. He knows what you're going through, and he's going to give you strength today. And He just wanted me to tell you that today, that the Lord has given you strength in that area. The Lord has just given you strength in that. Part of the way we receive strength in serving is by keep serving. Another step, another step in faith, knowing that Jesus is strengthening us. He is strengthening us today. We have a couple of some prayer partners that are available. And, and, and one of the things we're praying for is that we would be a congregation that would readily respond to God when God is moving us. Some of you have been carrying some burdens on you that are heavy. They're slowing you down. You know, they're, they're just kind of heavy on you. And by his grace, God has given you a gift today. He's given you some prayer partners who love you. And can I just simply say that pride is keeping you from taking 20 steps to a back wall to pray with people who love you. And it's just simply pride. And, and God really wants to break that in, in, in our church. A pride to say, hey, I'm just, we're just gonna take care of it on our own. We, we live among a, a people we're, we're like a self-sufficient people. We'll take care of it. We'll hire the counselor, we'll do that. And sometimes God, by means of his grace, he has prayer partners available. They're not any more special or different than you. Here's the issue. The Bible says one prayer is effective, it is. Praying alone is effective, but when you pray with someone else, the power of agreement, it's, it's exponentially more powerful. Why? Because Jesus gets the glory. <laughs> Jesus gets the glory because we're praying in his name. So I just want you to know, guys, no one, including Beth and myself, are above getting prayer. And, and, and we've done that before. Often, you know, we're up here doing our things here, but we've gone and gotten prayer before. So I just want you to know that. I think some of you just lovingly need to hear that from the Lord, okay? That might be for two months from now or three months from now. But God's here to strengthen us today. He's here to strengthen us today. Let's worship him. Let's worship him. I'm going to dismiss in just a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes. But the table of the Lord is open. I won't give further instruction, but you may want to eat the bread or drink the cup. And when your heart's ready, do that. In the back, in the front, prayer parts are available. As Beth leads us in worship, come on, let's just ask for the Lord to strengthen.